Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. It's Wednesday. Wonderful, wonderful Wednesday. And you're listening to Boy, that music just died quickly there. We ran out. Welcome to Daybreak <laughs> Devotions with Pastor Mike Barnett and Pastor Corey Cantrell. And we're certainly glad to have you back on this day. We're excited. I'm excited. Are you excited? Oh, I'm always excited. I'm excited for two reasons. One, because we are uh, going to be looking at a, a part of the post-resurrection, pre-Pentecost scriptures that I, I don't know that there's a lot of attention given to, but... I want to look at them today because uh, they're definitely worth it, and I think we'll get some, some some encouragement out of it. And so we're glad that you're listening to be a part of that. But I'm also excited about, you know, this special thing we do on Wednesday. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's Wednesday's Word of the Week. Oh, my, do we have one for you today. Now, i got to give credit where it's due. I was coming in and had a couple of ideas for the day. I mentioned to you that I was still working on it, and you said, oh, why not do gadzooks? <laughs> oh, it's a funny word, gadzooks. I, I don't know. I'm sure I had heard it before, but I don't know I'd ever gotten to where I heard it regularly by anybody except John Eldridge. Wasn't that one that uh, Robin used a lot in the Adam West Batman TV show? Well, it's possible, but... Gadzooks, um, Batman! Probably, but I'm not as well-versed in oh. that. Um, but Where's anyway, Deacon Dean when you need him? Yep. Well, Gadzooks. So uh, here's the thing. Its first known use was around 1650. Wow. I have surmised that its last common use died around 1970. Makes but I sense. could be wrong about yep. that. But Gadzooks. Now, if you want to know the most pure definition of this word... To the listeners out there, I don't know how many of you have ever heard Gadzooks or if you use Gadzooks, but the purest definition of it, it's an archaic interjection typically used as a mild oath. An oath? Is that, I, is that like a, a swear? swear? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like a bad thing to say. So it's one of those things that sounds cutesy and harmless, but is actually kind of the thing that used to get your mouth washed out with soap with? Back in the uh, 1600s? 1651, you used that. And Mama was taking you out back. Anyway, uh, so but here's the interesting thing. As I dug a little bit deeper, and I want to emphasize a little bit deeper uh, because I wasn't planning this one today, but it is understood to be a, what would be the word, like a uh, an, evolved, an evolved expression from God's hooks. Gad is an old way of saying God in certain dialects, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like Gad, like Egad. You, yeah. You've heard of Egad? Yeah. Well, that would be another way of saying something that we typically would encourage our people not to say, which would, if we put it in our terminology, we'd say be saying God's name in a vain way. Mm -hmm. But God's hooks is a reference to the nails that held Jesus on the cross. Wow. This is taking a quick turn to the negative. Well, I, I, I told you before we started that this one's gonna. What did I say? You might not like. You're this not one gonna or like it. I feel like uh, I feel like George 
when he was asking where Mary was. Yeah. <laughs> you won't like it. Where's Mary? Where's Mary? You won't like it, George. <laughs> Gad, Egad is also an interjection. Now, this one's a little more recent. It started in the 1970s. Egad did? Egad did. Okay. But, well, what about this? What does, uh, what does the uh, guy Shaggy on Scooby-Doo say all the time? Zoinks. Zoinks? Okay. Yeah. So that's sort of close to Zounds, which is also an interjection from, the, from around 1600. Zounds? Zounds. And it would be an expression of surprise or anger, and it comes from a way of saying or speaking of God's wounds. So in other words, all this stuff is connected to Jesus being nailed to the cross by God on our behalf. So it, was, it originated as some sort of religious expression that became apparently just a sort Slang, of... Slang, blasphemous way of belittling the suffering of Christ. Yeah, and maybe it is on how you used it. You know, I wasn't around in the 1600s. But I know today when people, when you hear somebody say that, they, they're not thinking that at all. Like, gadzooks is just an expression like... Like, like surprise. Yeah, like, uh, what else would we say? If we didn't say gadzooks, we'd say... Oh, snap. I uh, use that one a lot. Yeah, from Chicken Little. Yeah. yeah. Or like, oh, wow, or... Doggone. Yeah. Shocking. Well... All these type of things. Well, fry my taters. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, if that don't if that don't light your fire, your tractor ain't got gas, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. That don't crank your tractor. You ain't you got no sweat. tractor. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so there you go. That's uh, Gadzooks, Wednesday's Word of the Week this week. Nothing quite like finding out that a word that you were really looking forward to bringing back from the dark ages and reinserting into your vocabulary is actually something that should be left in the dark ages. Well, there is one other little reference that we could make about this in ways that people have probably heard it before. (laughs) Did you hear that? I did, but I don't have no idea what it was. It's what Yukon Cornelius says when he sees the the abominable snow monster. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Bumbles bounce. There you go. And that, my friends, is the word gadzooks. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's Wednesday Word of the Week. That was a good one. That was a good one. I'm sure I'll be hearing from some folks over that one. Write us at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com. Oh, I imagine tonight when we show up for church, you know, there'll be somebody that'll greet me with a gadzooks. I can't believe you're here. We heard the (laughs) broadcast today. Gadzooks. Okay, so (laughs) you'd think this was Friday fun day. But it's it's not. It's Wild and Wonderful Wednesday. Yes, it is. I'll give you a little teaser. We're going to be looking, if we go back to Acts, where we have done a lot of our looking over the course of this post-resurrection, we're actually going to look today at Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Since we got on this road to Pentecost, I enjoyed doing the three broadcasts on the Great Commission. They They were heavy in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, very heavy things to think about and consider, but sometimes we need that. You know, we uh, we pray about God lifting our burdens, but sometimes we really need God to give us a burden. And I, I hope that we are all experiencing some measure of that after going through those verses. But today, we're going to look at what happens after the Great Commission and prior to Pentecost. We begin to look at that. Now, in Acts chapter 1, I referenced that earlier, so I'll read it first. 
I want to read uh, verse 12. This is right after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. The angels have come and said, I guess I could just start reading in verse 11. Um, actually, I guess I could start reading in verse 10. Actually, let me go all the way back up to verse 9. I'm going to start from just verse 1 and just get the full context. <laughs> so Jesus has given them the orders, you know, and it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, I want to stop right there and say, there the angels are putting the exclamation point on Jesus' words earlier in the chapter when he said, it's not for you to know the seasons or the times, but it is for you to get out there and let people know what I've done and that I am coming. And also, you know, I read from Second um, Peter chapter 3 a couple of broadcasts ago the fact that we are to be looking for his coming. So the emphasis being they're putting the exclamation point, I think, right there on, you know, because even as they said, he is coming again. And so I'm thinking about what Peter said about what manner of, life we should be living in holiness and looking for his coming and not getting bound up into this world but getting our focus on that so just i think the angels kind of are emphasizing that a little bit in what they're saying then returned they unto jerusalem from the mount called olivet which is from jerusalem a sabbath day's journey now that's about a half a mile you can you know i went to israel one time oh yeah and this is one of those moments where people say the Bible comes alive, actually works, because standing on the Mount of Olives and looking back at the old city, it's just like right there. So what's interesting about that to me is they went a day's, a Sabbath day's journey. So I'm thinking, man, a Sabbath day's journey, you better live close to whatever you need on the Sabbath because you don't get to go far according to the uh, religious tradition. Anyway, and when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren, or the brothers of Jesus. Now, verse 15 tells us, and in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, and it says... And the number of names together were about 120. So just to add that in there, that we're talking about a group of 120 disciples that are basically gathering together in this period of time from between the Ascension and the day of Pentecost, which is coming next in Acts chapter 2. So that's about the size of what we would call the church. And the question is, what are they doing? Well, a question that I think comes comes to me out of this is what is Jesus doing now? Mm -hmm. We talked about what Jesus was doing for these 40 days that he was on the earth, but as soon as I was reading that this morning, that's the first thing I thought of. What is Jesus doing now? You know, he's gone back to heaven, so what is it all about? And I, I went to Mark 16, and the last two verses sort of uh, energized me this morning. It says, So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and look at this, and sat on the right hand of God. And I began to think about what that means, what great news that was for them and for us, that Jesus is seated right now at the right hand of God in heaven. And when I say that, I mean, I think about his role as our great high priest. To not get too far ahead of where you're going, 
I think the the seated part, I've always read that as kind of like it shows the finality of his work here on earth. It it, it shows that almost like almost like confirmation of okay, yes, the task is done. His his part is finished. But then also the motivator for then when the angel said, but now you have a work to do. So it was almost like a a passing of the torch moment. You know, Jesus said, All right, I'm finished with my earthly task. Now it's up to you to continue on. But to bring in the element of the aspect that you are of now his intercessory role as high priest sort of goes towards that, that thinking and mindset that we should have of we're in this work not only for Jesus, but with Jesus. Though he is not here presently, he's still very much so active in the work that he has left us here to do. Well, let's, uh, yes, and I think that's the next point that it takes us to, even if you go to verse 20 of Mark 16. But before reading that, in Hebrews chapter 7, it speaks to this role that Jesus has as our high priest, and it says, By so much was Jesus made surety of a better testament, and they truly were many priests, this is talking about the Old Testament priests of the Old Covenant, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. So now, let's start talking about what does that mean to us. Now, you've already made a very important point that we are actually doing the Great Commission with Jesus. We're co-laborers with him. But in verse 25 of Hebrews 7, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So when we think about him seated at the right hand of God. Now, I know, listener, you know this, but will we let's just let's just let it sink in one more time. He sat down at the right hand of God. Why? So that he, ever living, can make ongoing, continuous intercession for us. Let's just make it clear. We are saved in, by, and through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. What he has done for us and what he is doing for us now and what he will continue to do all the way until the end. And so he goes on, verse 26, for such an high priest became us. In other words, we needed this high priest. This was the one we needed. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of oath, which was since the law, which was since the law, maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. So in other words, Jesus is made the, the eternal high priest not by the law, but by the eternal oath of God. It is God's deed. God has done it. And so that is the high priest that we have. And when I think about Jesus, you know, when he ascended back to heaven, he said on the cross it is finished. And when he ascends back to heaven, he is seated. He sets down. Why does he set down? I know there's a passage here. Hebrews 1.3 tells us, who being the brightness of his glory, talking about the sun, who being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 10.12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So the point that I'm emphasizing is that it is a finished work. Mm -hmm. Jesus sat down because it is finished. Now, 
now to the point you're making, because he ever liveth to make intercession, because he is our sinless high priest, because he offered himself for us, and that cannot be undone, what then are we able to do? And that brings us to Mark 16 and 20. It says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. We can do verse 20 because of what Jesus does in verse 19. It is possible to do it, and we are powerful to do it because we're working with him. Yes. It takes the the understanding and the realization of where your power and where your ability is coming from so that you can better tap into and utilize it. And, and that's the importance of... of redirecting our focus to the finished work of Christ, because again, it's absolutely nothing of us. The only role that we play in it is presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. It's just allowing Jesus to do in, with, and through us what he desires to do. It's not my performance. It's not my ability. It's not my anything other than my willingness to allow Jesus to do his work through me. That's a great partnership, because I don't have to bring anything to the table because I don't have anything to bring to the table. Except yourself. Exactly. You're, you're, well, let's say it completely, though. and Not that your point's wrong, but what we do is we bring our whole heart, mind, body, soul, our everything, and we present ourselves to God. Yes, because that's what he's after. That's what he came to redeem, and that which he has redeemed, that's what he desires to use. Again... <laughs> What a what a liberating thought that that is. There's nothing. There's no more pressure than to be giving a to, than to be given a task that you are ill-equipped for, but expected to do it and make it work, knowing I, I can't do this. I, I don't have. You're asking me to do something that I physically cannot do. I don't have the means. I don't have the ability. If you just read the task that Jesus left us with, that's one of those such tasks. We can't do this. We don't have the power to do this. But he's not asking us to do it. He's asking us to do it with him. That is the definition of with God, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. We are doing it in conjunction with him, not merely for him. Or lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Now let's go to Luke 24, and let's add another piece to this. So we've established that Jesus is set down at the throne. He is our high priest in heaven. Praise the Lord. That makes a difference. That matters. So it's possible for us to do the Great Commission, and we can be powerful in it. Let me add, let's add another thing to it from Luke 24, verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blesses them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. This is sort of one of those, I know this is going to sound uh, carnal or irreligious or something, but I can't but see Jesus like, you know, I mean, he's the champion. He's conquered everything. And I see him now, he's in the middle of pronouncing his blessing on his followers. He starts ascending up into the clouds and you just see him kind of, peace out, fellas. It's just like, (laughs) it says, I know, I know, but he says, while he blesses them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. It's like it's like the, the angels are like carrying him off, and he's just, uh, you know, it's that classic scene, right? Of all, 
of all of the images that will come into your mind during the Easter and resurrection season, I think this has got to take the cake of all of them. But you do bring up a good point because I don't believe that this was like an instantaneous vanishing. Mm-mm. Like, you know, Jesus is there and then poof, where'd he go? What what happened? No, because they just stood there gazing like after he... Like, you know how you watch a balloon? You yes. release a balloon? That, that's what this is like. And then all of a sudden it's gone, and then now what do we do? Wouldn't you like to know what the blessing consisted of? Yeah. And I think we can piece things together from the upper room on the resurrection day and, and the week following and the scene by the Sea of Galilee and on and on and on it goes. I think we can piece some things together. But here he is. He's just blessing them. Well, what effect does the blessing have on them? Well, you read on, verse 52 and 53, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, I want to point out, I believe verse 52 and 53 describe for us specifically what the disciples were doing between Ascension and Pentecost. Okay? I think Mark 16, 20 is more of a generic statement of what began to transpire it's an overall statement of what is going to be covered throughout the book of Acts. But I like that this adds another element to it in Luke 24, that this is the exact effect that it had to receive that blessing from the Lord, to see him ascended. You know from Acts 1, the angels come and say, hey, 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 guys, eyes on us a minute. Look, while you're standing here gazing, he just told you what to do. Yeah. Now, now get after it, guys, because he's coming back. And, and what is the effect? They worship him. They return to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So we have two elements here that, that we can call out about what's happening in, in between Ascension and Pentecost. Number one, Jesus has ascended back to the hev- heavens and he is seated at the throne. He is our great high priest. Number two, Jesus has blessed them and he's blessed the purpose, our purpose that we have on earth to carry out the Great Commission. And that blessing received is producing worship and joy and gladness, but... There's a third thing that I, I see in this that is worth mentioning, and that is this company of fellow saints that they get to be with and worship together and work together and encourage one another. They worshiped, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And and I think that's such a, an important part of this you know, that we we don't have to do this by ourselves. We're not only partnering with the Lord, but we get to do this together as as God's people, as the church. And and I guess the final thought that I have is there's one marked difference that I kind of closed out my study on this uh, with. I, I look at, at Luke 24, verse 36 through 38, and I won't read all that, but I want to point out some words. You know, Jesus appears to them and says, peace And verse 37, they were terrified and affrighted. They thought they were seeing a ghost. Verse 38, why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your heart? Now compare that to Acts 1, what we just read, verse 12 through 14. And look at this. They returned into Jerusalem and it says when they were coming to the upper room, they all gathered together and they continued, verse 14, in one accord in prayer and supplication. Add Luke 24, verse 52 and 53 in there. They're worshiping. They're rejoicing. There is a big difference in this group uh, that, that is before us right here. Before they're terrified, they're troubled, they're doubtful. Now Jesus has commissioned them. He's ascended into the heavens with his blessing. And, and look at the difference. Now they're united 
They're prayerful. They're full of hope. These are two different huddles. Yes. That first huddle was a huddle of fear. They're not even sure what they believe or what to believe. I sent you a link to a podcast yesterday, Mm -hmm. today, and in there, the Bible scholar that's being interviewed, was it Jeremiah T. Johnston Johnston. or something like that? He makes a reference to, to, to Luke 24 when the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus joins them. And in verse 21, they said, well, they talk about how Jesus had been delivered, he had been crucified, condemned and crucified, and they said, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And that, that this Bible scholar that was being interviewed, he pointed out how that, that for these three years, they had hung all their hopes in Jesus as their Messiah. But understanding that for all the history of Israel, the belief was the Messiah would come and would overthrow Rome and would destroy the, the uh, corrupt priesthood, and he would get everything right. He would th- cast out all the pagans from the Holy Land. And now he's dead? Yeah. And so he says in that statement that they made, we thought that, it, that he was the one. They were basically saying, well, we'll just wait for the next one. And think about that. All hope was all but vanished. Yep. These guys were shook to the core. And think about it. By the time every one of these apostles died, the whole world had been turned upside down. Man, that gets me. Mm-hmm. That's who we serve. Yes. Somehow, somehow we've lost that. We've, we've forgotten what this means. That's why these verses are so important. That's why this study is so important because, man, this can revolutionize our hearts for the Lord. So there is a quote that came to my mind while you were talking there. It's from Paul Chappell's book, The Resilient Life. We've lost sight of the God that we serve. He wrote um, in his chapter entitled, Great Saints Face Great Struggles. He said, as a pastor, I see an Elijah-like tendency in Christians who become fearful of the world around them and think they can overcome danger by moving to a more conservative area or refusing to participate in engaging the world with the gospel. Be accurate in your assessment of evil, yes, but don't become so discouraged by what you see that you think you can only, or excuse me, that you can think only of protection and not of doing the will of God. First century Christians faced an immoral and oppressive world, yet Paul's instruction to them was that in recognizing the evil around them, they should be more determined than ever to understand and to do the will of God. What we have done is the opposite of what the disciples here had done. They were so fixated on Jesus that everything around them was of little of no concern because how could we not but do this? We have seen the risen Lord. We have felt his blessing. We have been so enraptured by his presence what is all of this fast forward to our day today and we are so fixated on the world around us that we have lost sight of being enraptured by jesus and being filled with the blessing of him that it has rendered us ineffective not because we have less than what the apostles and the disciples had but because we have given our attention to things that have cheapened the power that is available to us by our own fault which upper room huddle are we more like? The, up, the upper room huddle on Resurrection Day, a huddle of fear, or the upper room huddle in Acts chapter 1 after the Ascension, which is a huddle of faith, people who are ready to go out and, and do the work? Absolutely.
thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.